This morning, we're continuing in our fall sermon series, talking about why God wants us to thrive and how God wants us to thrive, particularly in times where we feel like surviving is all that we can manage. We started last week jumping into the Revised Common Lectionary with the book of Matthew. We're going to pick up where we left off last week at Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. I invite you to join me in listening for the word of the Lord. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When they, he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you, my friends, to join me as we pray. God, we ask that your spirit might fall afresh on us, that we might hear these words in new and enlightening ways, and that you might, in your spirit, give us the courage to respond wholly and faithfully to your instruction, to your hope, and to your promise. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most engaging genres of story writing are stories that are told by an unreliable narrator. Sometimes the narrator is unreliable because he is mentally or criminally ill, like the narrator in Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. Sometimes the narrator is unreliable because he is a child or a youth like Holden in The Catcher in the Rye, written by Salinger. And we see unreliable narrators in movies as well, Forrest in Forrest Gump, or Bruce Willis's character, Dr. Malcolm Crow in The Sixth Sense. Unreliable narrators 
aren't usually or always unreliable because they are intentionally trying to lie or manipulate us as the audience, most of the time they are unreliable simply because they lack perspective and self-awareness. They are blind to the thing that is the most obvious and often they are blind to the thing that is the most important. Regardless as to why they are blinded to what is obvious to everybody else, as a reader or as an audience member who is listening to an unreliable narrator, there is something very bewildering about following a storyline and buying into the reality that that narrator creates, only to then eventually realize that we have been duped by the very person that we have been trusting to tell us the truth. It's what makes Forrest Gump so endearing. And it's what makes Dr. Crow in The Sixth Sense so sympathetic. And it's what makes the narrator in The Telltale Heart so very, very creepy. In every case, they are often missing what is obvious to everyone else. When we invest in a story that is told by an unreliable narrator, when we wholly submit our reality and start making predictions and assumptions based on what the narrator tells us, then it can be really disturbing or disruptive or disconcerting to realize that we too had been operating all the time in this limited perspective. It's shocking when we realize that we have not been presented with crucial information. Had we known, we would have thought differently. Because friends, the one thing that all unreliable narrators have in common is that they operate from a perspective that is severely limited to themselves alone. Either because they are a child or because they have a disability or because they have mental illness or because they're just flat out self-centered. Holden misinterprets the world around him because he's coming of age. Forrest misinterprets the world around him according to those of us who are watching because he possesses a slower intellect. Dr. Crow misinterprets the world around him because turns out he didn't realize that he was dead. It's really hard for us to imagine that we could ever be unreliable narrators. But in the short story that Jesus tells in our scripture for today, that is exactly what Jesus is pointing out. All of us, all of humanity is prone to becoming an unreliable narrator of our lives and unreliable narrators of the world around us. All of us are at risk of missing the most important, most obvious thing, which is this. The world is God's and that God loves us. When we narrow our perspective to center only upon ourselves, making us the very center of how we look at things rather than making God the center of how we look at things, then we become unreliable narrators of our lives and of the world around us. 
because the reality of the worlds that we live in isn't determined and dictated by the perspectives that we have. The reality of the world that we live in is determined by the perspective that God has. What we see in our scripture passage for today is that it doesn't take very much for us to lose sight of the most obvious thing that God is the center and that we are not. Jesus, he tells us this story about the workers in the vineyard as an illustration of two prior conversations that Jesus has just had, one with the rich young ruler and one follow-up conversation with Peter and the disciples. Conversation number one happens in chapter, the chapter right before this. In Matthew 19, Jesus is approached by a rich young ruler who asks Jesus what good deed he has to do in order to inherit eternal life. So when Jesus replies, he says, yeah, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, okay, well then what ones? And so Jesus lists five of those commandments as well as one extra one about loving your neighbor as yourself. And the man, young man says to him, I have kept all of these. So what might I still lack? Jesus then replies to him and says, well, if you want to be perfect, then you should sell all of your possessions, give your money to the poor, follow me. And the scripture says that after hearing this, it's when, that's when the young man went away, grieving because he had many possessions. So as the young man walks away, Jesus has his second conversation, following up on this event by talking to Peter and the disciples. Jesus turns to Peter and the disciples and says, it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are astounded. They say, then who can be saved? To which Peter then exclaims, look, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? To which Jesus replies by saying, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And then he explains that line by telling this story. For the disciples, and perhaps for many of us, this story about the workers in the vineyard is equally as frustrating as the conversations that he has just had with the rich young ruler and with Peter. One worker works all day, another worker works most of the day, still another half the day, still another quarter of the day, hardly another, uh, the, another one hardly works at all. And yet, when it comes time to be paid, the people who barely worked are paid first and they're given a full wage, which causes the rest of the crowd, the rest of their workers to get their hopes up. Because if those who worked the least are going to get more than they expected, then certainly those who worked more will get more than they expected. We can see almost as we read along in the story, we can feel how as each equal wage is distributed to each worker, we can feel 
the spirits of all of those other workers sinking lower and lower until finally they're angry. The workers grumble against the landowner. They complain about how they were cheated, about how they were worth so much more than those people who had hardly worked at all. Because you know what? Those workers, they know their value. They can do simple math. To which the landowner replies, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You see, my friends, the workers in this story, they have become unreliable narrators. The workers were viewing the landowner's wages as belonging to them well before those wages were ever even given to them. They knew what they were worth. They knew what they were owed. They knew what they deserved. Their perspective was so narrowed onto them that they completely forgot the most basic truth about that wage. That wage didn't originate with them. That wage was always the landowners. Turns out, turns out that this story is never primarily about the workers in the vineyard at all. Turns out that this story was always about the compassionate employer. And so for those of us who found ourselves following the reality that is narrated by the workers, we find now that we were duped. We followed the perspective of the unreliable narrators of the workers when we should have been following the perspective of the landowner. The workers were never the center of the story. The landowner was. By telling this story about the vineyard workers, Jesus is trying to illustrate something that, a point that he was trying to make to both the rich young ruler and to Peter and the disciples. The rich young ruler also knew how to narrate his own story. He was a really good guy. He was blessed with a lot. He was faithful to his religion. He followed those commandments. What could he possibly lack? He posed the question to Jesus as a rhetorical question, only to then be shattered when he got an honest response. He had narrated his life by his own values and by his own perceptions to the point where he believed that his perception of himself and of his abilities, that that perception was the true reality. And to have that reality challenged and reframed by Jesus was earth shattering. It caused him to grieve. It makes me wonder, friends, was the problem of that young man having that wealth, was the problem of the wealth in that he couldn't give it up? Or was the problem of his wealth in that that wealth had assisted him in creating an alternate reality to the God-centered truth of his life? Did his wealth cause him to miss the most important 
obvious thing. Friends, it is so easy for us to become unreliable in narrating the world that we live in, to miss the most important, obvious thing about God being the center of reality, particularly if we have enough resources to make ourselves comfortable. Because when we are surrounded by wealth, it is easy for us to craft stories about how we got that wealth, to craft stories about how we will manage that wealth and always have, to craft stories that help us protect our wealth so we never have to give it up. Possessing wealth and resources gives us a motivation for crafting our own narrative and gives us a very easy foil to becoming blind to where our narrative that we are crafting conflicts with the reality of the kingdom of God. Perceiving that anything in our possession is ours because we earned it, because we deserved it, because we worked hard for it, perceiving things as being Ours, rather than perceiving things as a generous gift from the giver. That is how our flawed narration starts. But it's not just people with wealth who are at risk for becoming unreliable narrators. Peter fell into it too. When he hears Jesus say that it's impossible for mortals to be saved, he snaps back at Jesus. He says, look, we have left everything to follow you. I don't have a penny in my pocket. So you tell me, what am I going to get? Peter has nothing. And still he succumbs to making himself the center of the story. Still, he is swayed by that strong perception of what he feels he is owed, of what he feels he has earned, of what he feels he has worked for. In only a moment, the central question of reality, which is, what is God doing here? What is God doing with this? Was replaced with the question, what do I get out of this? Friends, following an unreliable narrator makes for a really good story. But unreliable narrators are really pitiful characters because everyone around those unreliable narrators can see the obvious thing that they are missing. Everyone can see it, except for them. They are like the emperor with no clothes. They might be living confidently into their own reality, but everyone else can see that their reality is only fooling them. There's a short story written by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Shoddy Lands. And in the short story, C.S. Lewis describes a scene where he is the narrator and he is sitting in a room with his good friend's girlfriend. And he doesn't know entirely how this happens, but in an instant, he finds himself in a completely different world. And he comes to realize that the reality that he is living in is the reality of this girlfriend. It's what she's thinking. It's how she perceives the world. 
He describes walking in her perception. And he, he describes what everything looks like. The things that normally would be in sharp focus for him are sort of fuzzy. And instead, the only things that are in sharp focus are the things that are interesting or usable to that woman. So he sees daffodils very clearly. He sees clothing very clearly, but he can't ever quite catch the features on someone's face. He can't quite catch what other people are doing or moving in within. At the very end of the story, before he snaps to and comes out of this woman's reality, he sees himself staring in the, in the mirror. He realizes that he has been living within the reality of this woman's world. And as he sits there bewildering, not entirely sure what he's seeing, not sure why these things are important to her and other things aren't, he starts to hear a pounding and he describes it as a, as a thumping that is on the outside of the dome of his existence. It feels like a heartbeat. And he describes it as God trying to break in to the reality and the, that she has created, trying to burst in and become part of her perspective. Her reality had sheltered her from the most obvious thing, which was the great, overwhelming, persistent love of God. Friends, God is the only reliable narrator. God's love is pounding at the dome of our existence, trying to break into the perspective that we are creating, trying to break into the reality that we choose to live by, trying to make itself center and central to all that we think and all that we do and all that we say. We don't wanna be unreliable narrators of our lives. We want to be the people who grab hold of the most obvious thing and never let it go. And so I invite you this week to join me in asking how God might reveal to us where we have been pushing the most obvious thing aside, where we have been willfully blind to the thing that is so central to all of creation I ask that together we consider where that is happening and instead we make that decision to make God's reality the center of our lives as it was always intended to be. Help me, join me, let's follow together in the one reliable narrator. Amen.